Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We've once again made it to Friday. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to us. It's the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is ready for you. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you, Jim. And our good martini is a follow-up on a very, very bad martini from just a couple of days ago. It's not as good as it could be. The best news would be that Peng Shui has been uh, seen in public and that she's fine and that she's not under government coercion. None of that has happened yet. But the good news here is that unlike the NBA, uh, the Women's Tennis Association is more than ready to stand up for her, even though she's not an active player on the tour anymore. And not only to demand that she's safe and sound and, and, and you know not under coercion, but that her allegations against this Chinese official that she accused of raping her, uh, get seriously investigated. Uh, So we'll see if that happens. The head of the WTA is Steve Simon, and he was on with Aaron Burnett of CNN last night. And uh, in some respect here, kudos to CNN and Aaron Burnett for airing this story, not smothering uh, criticism of China like uh, most stories get. But he says, look, we are not backing away from this. Uh, We demand answers. And we are ready to pull all of our business out of China, which is about a billion dollars over the next decade, if we don't get answers and the right answers soon. There's too many times in our world today when we get into issues like this that we let business, politics, money dictate uh, what's right and what's wrong. And when you, as you, you reflected earlier, when we have a young person who has the fortitude to step up and make these allegations knowing full well what the results of that are going to be. For us to not support that and demand uh, justice as we go through it, um, you know, we have to start as a world making decisions that are based upon um, right and wrong, period. And uh, we can't compromise that. And we're definitely willing to pull our business and deal with all the complications that come with it Um, because this is certainly, um, this is bigger than the business. So, Jim, I mean, the Chinese government is still claiming, according to the Associated Press, that they're not even aware of this story, which uh, is kind of hard since you quoted state-run media the other day about the uh, totally bogus email that she uh, allegedly sent. So they're still pretending like uh, like this isn't actually happening. We know that it is, and we finally have someone in the world of sports willing to actually tell the truth here. In addition to the head of the uh, World Tennis Association, we should give credit. Serena Williams has tweeted about this. Naomi Osaka has tweeted about this. Billie Jean King, the stars of women's tennis. And I understand you're starting to see a couple of men's tennis uh, big names. Uh, You know, perhaps I I assume because either they interacted with Peng Shui personally or they, uh, you know, they've interacted with her at one point or another during her her career in, in international women's tennis. This, this hits home for them. This is personal to them. They can't just say, oh, I'd better be quiet about this because uh, future tennis tournaments could be really good for the sport in uh, China. And, and this would, you know, do a lot of, you know, the world tennis would get a lot of money and, and all that kind of stuff. This is, you know, you know, standing on principle. And I wrote this at considerable length in, in today's Morning Jolt. One, I think the stance we are seeing from the World Tennis Association and these big stars really makes the NBA look bad. It really, because I went back and I checked, it's very easy to forget. We all remember, oh God, they knuckled under and oh, they 
they pulled a John Cena in, in groveling and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we forget LeBron James did not just say, oh, I, I have nothing to say or something like that. He actually was critical of Daryl Morey, who was then the uh, general manager of the Houston Rockets. I think he's now at the Philadelphia 76ers. Morey is the one who put out that, you know, free Hong Kong tweet. And LeBron James went out in front of the cameras and said, I believe he wasn't educated on the situation at hand and he spoke. And so many people could have been harmed, not only financially, but physically, emotionally, spiritually. So just be careful what we tweet and what we say and what we do. So in LeBron James's mind, Daryl Morey is the villain of this story. He's, he's the one who's in the wrong, not China, not uh, what China is doing, not the NBA for, for you know, that in the end, LeBron James thought that speaking out about police brutality in Hong Kong was wrong as much as he has spoken out righteously, I would point out about police brutality here in the United States. This happened in uh, late 2018, early 2019. And as a result, you know, then of course, you know, the pandemic came along and people kind of, you know, it kind of overtook people's perception. What's going on in Hong Kong just wasn't as big a story as, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic. But I think it really, one, I think LeBron James deserves more grief for taking this stance. And maybe the NBA might want to take a second thought, second shot at this. The good news about life is you do not run out of opportunities to do the right thing. LeBron James and the rest of the NBA could say, you know what, we thought we could work with China, but this is just appalling. You cannot say, oh, we, we don't know about this. Like, if nothing else, an allegation of rape should be investigated. An allegation of rape by the vice premier or former vice premier of China should be investigated. And a woman who comes out and claims being sexually assaulted is not supposed to be silenced and disappeared. This is a really big deal. And I, I kind of wonder, you, know, you heard this from Tom Cotton um, some slightly troubling news yesterday when it sounded like the U.S. was going to diplomatically boycott the U.S. Olympics. We were still going to send our athletes, but no U.S. officials would attend. Biden said they're, they're considering it when he was in the Oval Office yesterday. So it sounds like it's not a done deal. Uh, but then again, Greg, we always have to recognize the possibility that uh, Joe Biden has just not been fully briefed on what Joe Biden <laughs> thinks. Um, so at some point, maybe they will. I, I think they will. But that's not, you know, kind of bothersome. I do think an athlete boycott is starting to feel plausible because it's not just the genocide of the Uyghurs, which is really a big deal. As I wrote in the Today's Morning Jolt, we almost never let the Olympics be hosted by a country that wants to do genocide. Okay, 1936, but we try to avoid it. That was really embarrassing to have uh, uh, Nazi Germany hosting the Olympics in 1936. Um, but you could do that. You could throw in the military aggression and flyovers over Taiwan. Uh, you could point to this. I would point out the lab leak and the refusal to cooperate with the, the World Health Organization. There's just a demon's list of crimes and sins that the Chinese government is doing these days. And at what point do U.S. athletes say, I, I don't want to be a part of this? At what point do big corporate sponsors like Coca-Cola and Visa say, ah, look, we don't want to be associated with what's going to be known as the genocide games. This is this is too much. And, and you're starting to see Sally Jenkins and other Washington Post columnists who are not knee-jerk Passionate, but you know, I, I think like this is a this is maybe the straw that breaks the camel's back. At minimum, if we don't see Peng Shui alive between now and the Olympics, it's at some point participating in these Olympics is acquiescing to the actions of the Chinese government. And if we don't see her alive between now and the Olympics, Greg, maybe she's dead. And can we seriously continue to work with a, a government that will execute a woman because she had the audacity to calm out her uh, sexual assaulter? No, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. And if it is confirmed that 
foul play has happened here, then that really puts uh, the Biden administration in in a quandary about what to do. And, and then it might lead to a full boycott. I don't know. Tom Cotton, as you alluded to, is already uh, saying that. And I think that's what Sally Jenkins is saying as well. I would just say two things uh, as we exit here, Jim. First of all, I think, uh, and you alluded to this strongly as well, is the courage that this takes. It, it seems common sense what Steve Simon and the WTA and all these uh, tennis players are doing here. But when you look at this list that you kind of checked off there, John Cena groveling for an apology because he called Taiwan a country. Marriott, I just saw yesterday, refusing to host a conference in Prague that talks about the Uyghur genocide because they obviously don't want the political blowback because I'm sure they have uh, quite a bit of a presence in China. Uh, The World Health Organization, the United Nations, they won't confront China over COVID. The Biden administration won't confront them over COVID origins or the Uyghur genocide, really. I mean, at his UN speech at the opening of the General Assembly, Biden referred to Xinjiang province, but nothing specific about what was happening there. The NBA rolled over for China, as well as LeBron James and the biggest stars, and pretty much the world when it came to Hong Kong. You had a few sanctions from the UK and Australia. So what Steve Simon is doing here is significant, and hopefully it encourages more people to do that. Uh, I have to say I'm a, I'm a pretty casual tennis fan. I, I follow it to some extent, mostly around the majors. The name Peng Shui did not ring a bell, so I, I did a little more research on her. She did reach the semifinals of the U.S. Open in 2014, but more significant, Jim, is that uh, she was also a good doubles player and won the title at the 2014 French Open, and her partner, and I'm going to butcher this name, is Sei Su Wei of Taiwan. So something tells me that she was not exactly on the on the uh, good list already leading up to this. And uh, obviously her allegations against uh, one of Xi Jinping's favorite people perhaps put him over the edge here. I was going to say, when you're top 20 in the world, you're a big deal. Even if somebody like me who doesn't really follow pro tennis wouldn't have heard of it. And I think... Like it, it's funny. It shouldn't. This this is a terrible crime, no matter who it occurs to. Sure. But the fact that it occurs to one of the country's biggest athletes kind of is a demonstration that we in the state, in particular this this former vice premier, we can do anything we want to anybody. No one can stop us. No one is powerful enough. No one is famous enough. No one is wealthy enough. No one, no individual can stop the Chinese state from doing what it wants, or particularly the men who run the top of the Chinese state from doing what I think that's uh, what's horrifying. And I feel like you mentioned, you know, the the companies and folks who've kind of averted their eyes from this in the past. I think a lot of people year by year, like we, going back to Tiananmen Square, we knew this was never a nice government, but there's always, well, they're, they're going to grow in our direction. They're getting better. They're really what just want stability. And you, know, this, like, you could kind of talk yourself into believing maybe the Chinese government had done some really bad things in the past. Whole cultural revolution, you know, tens of billions dead under Mao and also, but you could tell yourself, no, they're getting better. They're getting more civilized. They're getting more aligned with um, international human rights. Don't worry, it's getting better. And it's not getting better. It's not getting better at all. And I think what you're seeing from them is actually um, not a more moderated autocratic or brutal impulses. I think it's kind of unleashed. I think it now, there's a really interesting interpretation from Ala Pundit over at Hot Air who said that, that statement from her that looked sounded like, you know, uh, completely fake. You theorize the government wants you to know it's fake, that they're being kind of shamed. They're kind of saying in your face, look, we're going to pretend this is from her. You, We all know this isn't from her. We're doing this to demonstrate there's nothing you can do to stop us. And I, it's kind of a chilling thought uh, that that's the mentality at work at the highest levels of the Chinese government right now. 
Now, there's a lot of uh, what I would hope retroactively we all see as terrible decisions, coddling China with most favored nation or permanent trading status, whatever we call it now, uh, was a huge mistake. And honestly, the first Bush administration for not uh, really punishing them much stronger after Tiananmen Square, I think, is something we're going to regret and probably already do long term. So amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, as China tries to take over the world and silence anyone who uh, gets in their way, uh, let's talk about something uh, a little bit better because, you know, the economy is not doing great either. But there is one thing you can try to do, and that's diversify your portfolio. And as the dollar gets more unstable, the price of silver and gold uh, might enhance your bottom line. And the price of silver has actually increased 340 percent since the year 2000. That's really good. And it continues trending higher. And if you want to explore the world of silver and gold ownership, there's no better place to do it than Universal Coin and Bullion. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin, which just happens to be the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act back in 1985. Call Universal Coin, leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30. Postage is free and you'll be dealing with the experts. In fact, the company's president, Dr. Mike Fulgens, is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government and he is the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year. UCB also has rare gold coins, but this special silver deal is only available using the code MARTINI. So call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800-UCB-GOLD. All right, Jim, let's move on to our bad martini now. And of course, uh, if you watched what was happening in the House of Representatives last night, which I'm happy to say I was not, <laughs> uh, you're probably a little sleep deprived today. I'm still not even really sure what Kevin McCarthy did there procedurally to be able to go on for hour after hour. I mean, you can't really filibuster in the House, but nonetheless, he delayed uh, the vote on the House version of the reconciliation bill till this morning. Didn't really change much. Uh, it passed 220 to 213. Entirely a party line vote, except for Democrat Jared Golden of Maine, who voted against it, which is interesting, Jim, because a lot of these supposedly moderate Democrats in the House said, well, we really got to see what the CBO score says, Congressional Budget Office. Well, the CBO score comes back showing that uh, the revenues, and we're not a big fan of those tax increases anyway, but uh, hey, uh, you still fall hundreds of billions short. Ah, no big deal. Let's just vote for it anyway. So the good news is, is that uh, it's this version will go nowhere in the Senate. But nonetheless, uh, just looking at what Virtually every Democratic member of Congress is willing to push for here. Uh, Guy Benson sums it up well on his Twitter feed. Tax hikes for millions of middle-class families, tax breaks for blue state millionaires, hundreds of billions in added deficits per the Congressional Budget Office, trillions in new government spending amid painful inflation, and forcing taxpayers to fund elective abortions. And that's just the, uh, the short list here because all these new entitlement programs are going to drain us going forward as well. So... Jim, uh, still comes down to Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin and what they ultimately want the final version to be here. So if something does pass, and I suspect it will, ultimately it'll be better than what just passed the House. But we're getting closer to something that's going to be really damaging. Greg, one of the recurring themes of this podcast is that the term, and I, th I think I really you know, was, was beating this drum during the, the 2020 Democratic presidential primary, 
is how often the term moderate or centrist uh, when applied to a Democrat really is used to describe their demeanor and their tone and their personal <laughs> style rather than any actual policy preferences they have or any significant differences from the more progressive or more liberal folks in the party. I, I really, the more time goes by, the more concrete examples I can find of that. And you, you know, any House Democrat who voted for this, like the, the great irony is they went through this whole charade of, oh, we got to wait for the CBO score. And, you know, they're kind of implying that they, they, you know, certainly the tone of their comments suggested is that they had a moral objection to voting for a piece of legislation that was going to significantly increase the deficit. Well, CBO comes back. Even if you grant the Biden administration their argument that once we spend a whole lot more money on the IRS, everyone's going to stop cheating on their taxes. And that's going to generate so much more tax revenue that not only is it going to pay for itself, it's going to have a dramatic, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. CBO is not convinced. There's a whole bunch of reasons to think this is, eh, no, nah, I don't think it's going to shake out that way. Look, maybe it'll be more than the CBO says. I don't think I would count on hundreds of billions of dollars more than what the CBO says. But, uh, you know, but the House Democrat, like they said, they acted like this really mattered to them. And then they voted for the bill anyway. <laughs> it's kind of demonstrating that the CBO score didn't really didn't really make that much impact on their thinking. It didn't really matter that much to them. I guess they felt like they had to go through the charade, so they looked like they worried about the deficit, and then were you know had to get it passed anyway. The silver lining to this is that the version that passed the House is not extraordinarily unlikely to be the one that becomes law. The bad news is we're all it all comes down to sentiment, as they're calling it these days. Kirsten Cinema <laughs> and Joe Manchin. Um, they've got problems with certain, a whole bunch of the provisions in this bill. I don't know if they have enough objections to tank it. Now, there were some very encouraging numbers that basically said West Virginians love the infrastructure bill and they do not like Build Back Better. So right now, you know, Joe Manchin can say, I'm representing the views of my constituents. I'm not backing down from this. I, I have no doubt. I, I think it's very likely that Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin are going to make this bill smaller. And from the perspective of fiscal conservatives, less worse, which is technically better. You know, less worse is not necessarily good. Um, and I think it's an open question. I, I guess kind of foreshadowing our next uh, you know, martini. Joe Manchin at one point said we should pass infrastructure and leave Build Back Better until next year so we can see how inflation is doing. Because if inflation is really bad, we should not pass giant spending bills throwing more money into the economy. We just got really bad inflation numbers, and I don't think it's going to be better for November. I don't think it's going to be better for December. So on paper, Joe Manchin has all the reason in the world to say, you know what, we're not doing this before January, and let's see how things are going. But uh, I don't think, uh, you know, with, with Joe Manchin, I, you know, I want to believe. It's like that X-Files poster. I want to believe, which is not the same as believing. No, no. Expecting Joe Manchin to hold the previous statements has not been a good track record for success over the years, but he has said this over and over again in print and in person uh, as it relates to inflation, and the point you just made is very good. Uh, the inflation is only getting worse. He has also said he won't vote for anything that uh, involves taxpayer funding of abortion, so... Uh, we'll see. He's not even a big fan of uh, the family leave plan, as most Democrats have laid it out. So we'll find out. But uh, ultimately, we're going to lose. It's just a matter of uh, how much uh, additional damage can be averted on this, I fear. But uh, hopefully, hopefully one or both of them stand strong. So we'll see. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, another important uh, thing to remember protecting your privacy. Uh, using the internet without ExpressVPN is like having a first aid kit, but not keeping it stocked up. 
Most of the time, you'll probably be fine, but what if you suddenly get into a horrible accident and there's nothing in your first aid kit to help you stop the bleeding? That's why you need ExpressVPN to protect your privacy. Why should you use ExpressVPN? They create a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so hackers cannot steal your sensitive data. Their system is super secure. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer more than a billion years, billion with a B, to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. It's easy to use. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you are protected. And it works on all your devices, phones, laptops, tablets, and more. So you can stay secure even when you're on the go. Look, every time you connect to an unencrypted network, whether you're at a cafe, a hotel, airport, hackers have the opportunity to get your data. And it doesn't take a lot of technical expertise to do it. Smart kids can probably do it. And your data is valuable. Hackers make a lot of money selling your personal info in the dark web. And of course, uh, your internet service provider is selling it to uh, uh, you know regular businesses. So you want ExpressVPN because you want your information secure. It's getting harder and harder to do. So don't take it for granted. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash martini. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash martini. And you can get an extra three months of coverage for free. Expressvpn.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And one of the things we said in our triple good martinis right after election day earlier this month was that the Democrats appear to have learned absolutely nothing from the results on election night. And now we have further evidence that this is true, so much so that it almost uh, feels right to make this another good martini. But instead, we'd rather have Democrats actually appreciate parents and their role in the education system. But apparently we don't have that yet. This is an opinion column on MSNBC.com written by a woman named Christina Wyman. She says, Parents have always tried to interfere with curricula, as I observed when teaching middle school in the mid-2000s. Even when there was no shortage of parental input about the content of my instruction from books to test questions. Part of the problem is that parents think they have the right to control teaching and learning because their children are the ones being educated. But it actually, gasp, that's her word, doesn't work that way. It's sort of like entering a surgical unit thinking you can interfere with an operation simply because the patient is your child. Jim, the lefties always like to have this uh, complex of self-importance, but uh, the idea of making this analogy that they're the only ones literally who could possibly decide what is appropriate to teach our kids is just arrogance of the highest order. And if they keep this up, man, next November is going to be a lot of fun, but hopefully not too much damage is done in the meantime. Greg, listeners to this podcast may recall the time I, I've coached youth soccer. Uh, I was not a particularly good coach, but I could line up the cones. Uh, I did yell at them, spread out. You look like a staff meeting out there. Uh, I was very amusing to the parents. The kids themselves were not as, uh, didn't understand any of my references. I've come in and spoken to my son's classrooms a bunch of time, and I have great respect for teachers, but um, come on. (laughs) No, this is not brain surgery. (laughs) We've all had teachers. We've had good teachers and we've had bad teachers. I don't want to say just anybody can do it. It is a skill. And I know so far my sons have been blessed with really darn good ones, but Come on, you know, if you don't recognize that, you know, but when, when teachers get blamed for poor test scores and poor student performance, what's the first thing they say? They point out that they only had the kids for like six hours a day and they can't overcome problems that are in the home. If you, you know, if you're, if you're not reading to your child, if you don't have books in the, in the, in your home, if you don't, um, 
do all that. If you don't, you know, check on your kids' homework, if you're not, you know, putting in the effort to make sure that they're thriving in school, it's very tough for a teacher to, you know, manage to overcome those disadvantages. So when it's, you know, when they're trying to defer blame, then parents are really, really important. <laughs> but when parents want to say, hey, actually, I got some thoughts on how you're teaching this stuff. And by the way, notice it's not like any, it's not like any parent is saying, yeah, we don't think you should teach math. Right. You know, they, they, they may have you know, this idea of this new critical race theory version of math or something like that. But it's one of those things, where, you know, hey, you know, I don't want depictions of pedophilia in a graphic novel in my kid's school library. That strikes me as really reasonable. I'm sorry. They're not. This is not the Spanish Inquisition. Not that anybody ever expects that. But, uh, but it's just a it, it's kind of ridiculous. And it's intriguing is that you see this on the, the, the issue of the schools as discussed a bit earlier. It's not like we've seen this administration and Democrats in Congress going to battle stations and metaphorical DEFCON 1 over inflation. Uh, I, you know, they've had events on the supply chain crisis. I don't think anybody feels like they've noticed any effects. They made one or two policy changes here and there. Uh, the ports operating 24-7 have not actually stopped the backlog of ships floating off the coast of California. Um, this does not feel like an administration, you know, it's, it, the, the administration just doesn't want to talk about Afghanistan. We're, we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. We're going to not bring it up. We're not going to have any follow through. Uh, the administration totally dropped any interest in investigating the lab leak once the intelligence community came up with this big, oh, don't know, uh, you know, report. This does not seem like an administration that's like, oh my goodness, we better respond to be having exceptionally low approval ratings. In fact, if you listen to the administration and more than a few folks in Congress, the tone is always, well, we have a messaging problem. No, no, you have a policy problem. Your policies are generating bad results. People are not happy. They don't like paying a lot of money for gas. They don't like paying a lot of money for food. They don't like the fact that there's, you know, every business they go to has, you know, signs in the window saying we are desperate for workers. Please come in and apply and or please be patient. We don't have enough workers. Right. There are big clunking. You can hear the gears grinding against each other in the U.S. economy. That's what people are worried about right now. Everything else is all fine. You know, roads and bridges. That's nice. That's great. But really, all in all, you know, people want their lives to get back to post-COVID normal, which is what this president pledged he was going to do. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. Well, here it is, almost Thanksgiving uh, 2021, and people are still saying, mm, I don't know if it's safe for you to get together with your family. By the way, it is safe for you to get together with your family. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they learn nothing. They, they absorb nothing. They think about nothing. They just do what they want to do. And I suppose, Greg, the only exception that, you know, if you know deep in your bones that what you want to do in your public policy agenda is fundamentally unpopular, then maybe for the left, this is the best case scenario. Maybe everything's got to be passed the way they passed Obamacare. Recognize that it's unpopular. Like get elected because of a reaction to the other party. And then when you end up with these majorities that the public, the electorate may not have really intended, you know, get it with a 50-50 Senate, then you just shove it all on through knowing the electorate's going to hate it, but knowing that Republicans who win back the House and Senate will probably not be able to completely repeal it. That may be the Democratic Party's operating philosophy for the foreseeable future. It's actually terrible for the country, but that I suspect, Greg, might be where we are right now. I think it is where we are right now, and even more so if this uh, supposedly Build Back Better bill uh, ends up getting approved and, and signed into law. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the Senate and beyond. Uh, but yeah, uh, when it comes to the kids, parents have first priority. Schools, we're grateful for what you do if you do it well, but don't ever think that you trump us. <laughs> Just ever. So, Jim, on that uh 
interesting note. We'll uh, say goodbye for the weekend and reconvene on Monday. See you then. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Uh, Tell your friends about us as well. We're grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Columbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens, the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. He was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, one of the reasons I like Universal Coin and Bullion as a sponsor is because the people tasked with stopping counterfeiting and fraud come to you for advice. No one's more knowledgeable or more trusted on these issues. Tell us about your background and how it's unique. Well, I started collecting at the age of seven was president of the local coin club at 18 and state coin show chairman. And then I went to work for the American Numismatic Association in Colorado Springs. I taught classes on counterfeit detection and grading coins to collectors, dealers, law enforcement, and then went into business, but went back to Colorado every summer for 20 years to teach about collecting, grading, and counterfeit detection. I've since talked to uh, the attorney general of Texas and helped him with the Consumer Protection Guide, and the Federal Trade Commission, and consulted for the U.S. Mint, the Royal Canadian Mint, and others. So I'm well positioned to help the public know that they're getting a genuine, high-quality product at a very good price. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.